This is Rob Swan, day 29 of the last 300 and unfortunately disaster struck at dawn. But what's really important I think in life is to do one's very best and I have done my very best. I'm Fraser and welcome to The Two Poles, a new podcast exploring our present and future with the Arctic and Antarctica. In December 2019, British polar explorer Sir Robert Swan set out on what was supposed to be his final march to the South Pole. This would mark the end of a 33-year odyssey to walk across the continent on foot. Swan was setting out on an expedition which he called The Last 300. This is the exclusive story of what happened on that walk and what transpired for a man who has been synonymous with polar adventure and polar activism. The young Sir Robert Swan was born in 1956 in Durham, England. At an early age, he developed a deep fascination with the polar regions, watching old films about the heroic age of polar adventure of the early 20th century. The expeditions of Robert Falcon Scott, Rowa Admondson, and Ernest Shackleton. It was the determination of Scott and his vivid diary accounts that captivated the young Robert Swan and would inspire his own polar career. In 1986, Swan embarked on the footsteps of Scott expedition to Antarctica, arriving at the South Pole in a team of three on the 11th of January, after 70 days without any radio communications. Swan's team had achieved the longest unassisted march ever made in history. Once at the South Pole, they received the bad news that their ship, the Southern Quest, had been crushed by pack ice and had sunk just minutes before they had arrived at the South Pole. Forced to fly out, Swan returned in 1987 with a recovery ship to remove all traces of the expedition. Two years later, he headed to the Arctic with an international team arriving at the North Pole on May 14, 1989, becoming the first person in history to walk to both poles. Over the past 30 years, Swan has become a leading figure in raising protection and conservation efforts of the polar regions and promoting sustainable solutions worldwide. He has been awarded the Polar Medal, he's an officer of the British Empire, a United Nations Ambassador for Youth, author, speaker and mentor to thousands of environmental activists around the world. In December 2017, Swan Sr. and his son Barney set out in a team of four on a 600-mile march that would become the world's first renewable energy-powered expedition to the South Pole. But midway through the march, Swan Sr., then 61 years old, had to pull out due to severe hip pain and being unable to keep pace. His son Barney and the team completed their march and Swan Sr. vowed to come back with a new hip. And so in December 2019, just a few months ago, and before the pandemic ripped around the world, he found himself once again on the ice desert of Antarctica to complete a walk across the continent 33 years in the making. 
This is the story of what happened. This is episode three of the Two Poles podcast with Sir Robert Swan. So what happened out there on the ice? Well, I think the, I think what's going to put it always into perspective about what, what's happened before um, to get the reality of what happened this time. If you're the first person to walk to both poles, you have the confidence to say, I can do this again. And when Barney suggested the South Pole Energy Challenge, I was fairly underwhelmed because I didn't really want to do it all again because it's a really hard thing to do. But I thought, no, this is a good thing to do as father and son. It's a good thing to do to support him. It must be a pain in the ass to be my son anyhow. Um, and he needs to have his own story, his own mission, and this feels like a good way to do it. And I was terrifically frightened about doing it because it's a bit like these places let you through. It's not a question of beating them. It's not a question of taking them on. And if you think you go back 33 years ago and you think that we were the first people to arrive at the pole on foot after Scott and before him it was Amundsen and there was no one before them, so more people had stood on the moon than walked to the pole when we did it. And we had no radio, no backup, nothing. So although we were superbly well organized and very well led by Roger Meir and Gareth Wood, just the three of us, we were let through, Fraz. Antarctica let us through. And I sort of didn't really understand that at the time. Of course, we lost our ship. We had all kinds of difficulties. But Antarctica did let us through. And... For the North Pole, but again, we had terrible ice conditions. The ice cap melted months before it ever had. You now can longer walk to the North Pole, as you know. But then again, it let us through. But I didn't really realize that. I just thought, yeah, done it. Been there, cracked it out, done job. And if I ever really talked about the places, I was more talking about the environment, holes in the ozone layer, trying to preserve Antarctica. But I never really talked about it letting me through or not. But it did. And on the South Pole Energy Challenge with Barney, it really gave me the first kick in the teeth. And obviously, you know, you've got to be a bit stupid to want to do it when you're 61 anyhow and worn yourself out. But it did. It kicked me and my hip disintegrated. I couldn't sleep. And it was absolutely a terrible, terrible time because my head was back 30 years before. If I got slow 30 years ago on the footsteps of Scott, I wouldn't be talking to you now. I'd be dead because without radio, without backup, if you got slow, Fraz, you were left to die because the others couldn't help you. There was no way out. There was no communication. So with Barney, he would call it the ice cell, like being in jail, that you would slightly go backwards from the team and everybody wore red 30 years ago and we still wore red today so i could see these little dots on the horizon i could not help myself on the south pole energy challenge and if you imagine it's like an ice circle closing in on you so i'm looking at you if i'm 100 yards back i can still see you but just 
eventually the the circle of eyes closes round you and you might not even see those dots anymore which are the other people on uh, ahead of you so you go into this ice cell this circle of ice and i could not help myself thinking that i was back 30 years before and that i was going to die and that I had a very bad time. I fell over, I got concussion, and no one knew about any of this because I was determined to keep going at all costs because I really didn't want to do it again. <laughs> I thought, you know, remember, all of this is based on one thing. We walked to both poles, but when I was 11 and studying Scott and Shackleton and those real explorers, Raz, the, the idea that Shackleton had gone down on his ship, tried to cross Antarctica, but never even started, fascinated me as a kid. And then there was the great story of the rescue and the Elephant Island and all that stuff. But that really, yeah, it was a good story. But what really interested me is that there was this unfinished line across Antarctica. And I thought, well, Maybe one day I can have crossed Antarctica. I won't do it in one go, but the dream was to cross the Antarctic continent. And I'd already done 900 miles of it. So to go from, you know, across the land mass, all I had to do was that 600 miles with Barney and I'd done it. So that's why I kept going on, on spec and eventually wore out. And that was terrible for me because I was beaten. I'd never been beaten before. Antarctica had slapped me in the face. It hadn't let me through. It was saying, you know, piss off, Rob. You can't always do it. And that was difficult to leave Barney to... It was very hard to, 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 to pull out that time. So in my head, I was saying, right, okay. I need, I've said to everybody that I'm going to do this. You, Fraz, me, lots of people are asking people in our world to take small steps towards our survival on the planet. So I thought, I said I was going to do this, and I'm bloody going to finish it. And it's 300 miles to go. And that's a long way, but I can do this. So with the new hip, I <clears throat> thought this is a great story of if I'm asking other people to take small steps on sustainability, I, I, I must finish this job. And to do that, um, I would have fuel that came from all kinds of different sources. So it wasn't just Rob Swan finishing the mission. It was a bit like finishing off spec because the South Pole Energy Challenge had all to do with NASA, renewable technologies, you name it. So I had for this expedition for the last 300, I had fuel made of CO2 shipped from the air, made into jet fuel. I had recycled diesel. I had fuel made from recycled plastic bottles from landfills in the middle of Mexico. This was fuel that would power our survival to cook off. And getting ready, this i was hugely inspired by andy murray the tennis player who i don't know if you remember had hip problems so i was thinking if that guy can pound up and down the tennis court with a with a hip i can do this so it was a great inspiration because you know he's a serious athlete which i'm not but i took inspiration from him and 
I thought I needed a new attitude, which I think is important, and I think it brings in a new element to the story. I needed a new attitude, but I needed the best people to make sure that this happened. So I selected Johanna Davidson and Katinka Geilhammer, one Swedish, one Norwegian. These are the top. Johanna holds the world record from going from the edge of Antarctica on her own to the South Pole, you know, like 38 days, like, you know, unbelievable polar traveler. But I wanted a new attitude, just needed the best team. So I had Johanna, who's a nurse, hugely experienced, world record holder, and Katinka, who's like a machine, one of the best skiers, cross-country skiers in the world. And, of course, Kyle, who's already been to the South Pole with Barney the whole way, you know, to press the button and help record what we were doing. So I had a great team. And I was nervous, but I felt that as long as I got ahead of the schedule and I wasn't rushed, that we could do this. And I knew that I had overcome something very important as a man to not feel embarrassed about asking other people for help, which I always have been. But on this journey, I felt confident that I could say to Katinka, Johanna and Kyle, look, I'm struggling, please take some weight without feeling like shit. So I went into it with a new attitude. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, I had Katinka and Johanna there. There was no sort of macho man stuff. It was just like we were the team. And we started off for the pole exactly 300 miles where I came out, which was quite emotional to fly into where I pulled out literally the same piece of snow. And off we went. And 300 miles didn't sound that much, but it's a really long way pulling a sledge to the South Pole. But in my head, you know, I'd, I'd walked to the South Pole 900 miles in one go in 70 days. So that was a third. So, you know, I could do this. And I trained up really hard to do this, got the hip right, strong, ready, we went. And interestingly enough, in the first 100 miles, 50 miles, let's say, we had the hottest weather again. It's boring almost to even say it now, but we had the hottest weather at 85, 86 degrees south. We looked at the temperatures that Scott and Shackleton had at those latitudes, and it was, instead of being minus 20, it was minus 5. Unbelievable. And the surfaces were a bit strange, but we got stuck in. Now, to put it in perspective, all I had to do was to get to 89 south, which actually is 240 miles from the beginning, because when I had the problem with spec, I'd flown in to 89 to join Barney to do the last 60 miles. So the plan is that I meet Barney and a team at 89. I will have completed the crossing of Antarctica and we will undertake a 60 mile celebration, great trip all together. So to do the mission, all I've got to do is 240 miles, join Barney and then cruise into the pole. That's the plan. Get to 89, job done. So off we go. Now, <clears throat> I don't mind detail, but obviously when you have a poo in Antarctica, you, you're not sitting on a lavatory seat. You go outside, it's minus 20, minus 30, you whip your trousers down, and you squat over a hole that you've done. And whether I'm stupid, which I think I am, and I'm happy to admit that, that no one had told me that a hip can actually pop out. 
Now, I should have looked it up on YouTube. The fact I had my operation done because I trust them in the UK and never really went back and talked to people. I made a big mistake, Raz. I got a new hip put in and I thought if I do the training, this will be strong enough to do it. So after about 40 miles, 200 to go, I go to the loo one morning and I squat down because obviously you can't poo standing up and bang, it's like an electric shock that goes through my leg and the hip, it feels like somebody's, you know, when you're pulling a wine cork out of the, out of a bottle, it feels like a sort of cork has gone like out a bit and then gone back in. And I'd never felt this in any of the training, any of the moments. And I thought, shit. And it was like a huge electric shock. And I just sort of moved and it went back in. And I went into Kyle and I said, look, you know, I, I can't tell the girls about this because they'll, you know, I'll get pulled out. But I've got to do this really carefully. And it, it's impossible to describe of trying to be careful when you're actually getting frostbite on your private parts, your fingers and your bum. It's hard to be careful because you want to rush. So it's not like you're sitting there for hours saying, right, you know, you get your trousers down, get it out. So I said, I thought, okay, I've got this. Obviously, this is a dangerous thing. This is an expedition stopper. So I have got to every morning poo really, really carefully. And I've got to have it in my mind exactly what I'm doing and not get distracted about from the cold. You know, it, 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 you, I think you understand it. No matter how careful you think, if your fingers are starting to kind of, you know, you move quickly. And a couple of times in the tent, when I was in a strange position, it again felt a bit strange. But Carl was incredible and said, right, Rob, bang, you know, every day, be careful, let's think about this. And the skiing was good. I was really strong on the skiing. So the skiing had no pain no nothing was going on with the skiing but then uh, 80 so we did 86 so we've done about 100 we've done 100 odd miles and i'm feeling really confident the the hips not doing that business when you're having a poo and i'm thinking i've got this i'm just going to be careful i'll be fine but we then hit the 87 degrees to 88, 87 to 88 degrees is 60 nautical miles. And that's where you get very high winds in Antarctica in the winter, and it creates these things called sastrugi, which are bends, and, and normally get about 20 miles maybe. We got 60 every single day, and we were going slowly. We we had a few days where you can't see anything, you get a whiteout. And I'm thinking, if I fall over, and being in a whiteout is like being inside a ping pong ball, you cannot see anything. So you can't see your skis, you can't see anybody in front of you, and you're in this sort of white cotton wool ping pong ball world. And I realized if I fell over as badly, and you can suddenly fall down six feet, because you can't see you're on this ice ice ridge thing that's that's there. And I can't, honestly, I'm not joking. I, I cannot, it's incredible. For me, it's unthinkable that if you said to me, Rob, take the top off a jam jar, I can't do it. If you said to me, open a Coca-Cola can, I can't do it. Because in that 60 miles, I literally 
just about broke my arms to stand up. And a month ago, a month ago, my injury happened and I still can't sleep. My hands are incapable of even doing up the buttons on my shirt because I pounded my arms to stay up, that I wouldn't fall over. So at the end of the day, Fraz, my legs hurt less than my arms. So I was literally walking to the pole, almost using my arms so I didn't fall over, which took everything I had. But I was starting to think in the back of my mind, I got this. So at the end of 88, at the end of 87, you know, where we're 60 miles away from Barney and I'm still in the ring and I've had nothing, no twitch, no electric shock, poo moment with the hip, nothing except I can't feel my arm. So that doesn't matter though, Fraz, because it doesn't matter what I do to myself now. We've got 60 miles to go and if I can hold the hip in, it's game on. I can do this. And I learned so much about leadership from... Katinka and Johanna about how calm it felt, you know, that I'm a bit of a sort of, and they'd say, Rob, you know, we've done six and a half hours today. And I'd say, well, we ought to really do more. And they said, no, we're not doing any more because we're on average. We don't want some big podcast from you, Rob. Get in the tent, recover, everything's fine. Really learned a lot about better leadership from them. So we're now 88, 60 clicks out, and we do another 20 miles. And it's starting to ease off a bit, but it's starting to get colder because obviously now we're at eight, nearly 9,000 feet above sea level and we crack out those next 20 miles. So we're now, and I didn't think about it. It's funny, I didn't think about it on the particular day in question. And I woke up in the morning and Kyle, who's, you know, such a cool guy, he said, Rob, every day for 29 days, you've asked me how far we are away from 89. And I don't know what's wrong with you, but you haven't asked me this morning. Let me tell you, we are 40 miles away from Barney. And I go, what? And obviously, you go to the loo at exactly the same time every day within two minutes because you can't spend time out there. So I I get out of the tent and I'm standing there. I'm looking around and the ice looks a bit smoother, but it's a lot colder starting to be more South Pole temperatures, minus 30 or something, 35. And I go to the loo. And I'm not thinking, Raz, about how I'm going to squat. I'm thinking, we're in. It's four days. Or it could be five if we go slow. We're we're in. We're we're on. And I was, you know, on a polar journey, you never think ever that you're going to get there because your brain will blow up. But what you do think is at one moment, I'll be able to think about it. And this was the moment I could allow my head to go that Barney would be flying in with the team, the last degree team, and I'd see them. So I went, went, went to the loo, but it was colder. And therefore, perhaps I rushed a bit too much, but pants down. So I moved, moved over a bit. And obviously, I was too low. And bang, out it came. The, the, the hip just came out of its socket. And I looked down, there was a whole head of the hip, you know, the, the metal ball thing was sticking out, not through my skin, but putting a big, that much pushing out through the, t- towards, I thought, I've got to put this about in. So I went the other way and it wouldn't go in. It was very painful. It was like an ele- it's like electric shock that you couldn't let go of. You know, if you have touch electricity, you normally let go of it. But this was like being stuck on it. And I leant one way and I leant the other way and I was lying there 
feeling a complete and utter disabled person. And, and I, on that moment, it went through my head what it would be really like to be disabled. And I had a sort of bonding moment with people that live like that all the time. And I could feel the cold seeping into my skin and this electric shock feeling. And I look up and there is a figure walking towards our camp. We are in the middle of a continent twice the size of Australia and there's no one else there. And I think, fantastic, this is, this is it. Okay, it's the Grim Reaper coming to collect me and I'm dying. I thought maybe I'm having a heart attack with the pain. And I thought, great, I'm dead. Because there is a figure that we did not expect or it wasn't, you don't suddenly see somebody in the middle of Antarctica. And I thought, great, you know, this is it. So I'm lying there starting to get cold, really cold. Fingers are all kind of gone. And, and I think even though they wouldn't give a hell, I think this is too embarrassing to ask Katinka and Johanna to come out. And so I got Kyle to come out. Kyle came out of the tent, took one look at my big bulge, and he said, Rob, this isn't looking too good. I said, well, let's get my trousers on and the gloves on. And we, you know, it's a... And I got the trousers on, and then the girls came storming out of the tent, like sort of, because they're, they're really on it. And they started carrying me, three of them, back to the tent. Meanwhile, this guy who I thought was the Grim Reaper, was actually a polar explorer who hadn't seen anybody for 49 days. And he'd obviously, from Poland, I can't remember his name, but he'd been following our tracks and came into our camp. And they're carrying me to the tent. And Johanna turned to this Polish guy and said, do you know anything about putting a hip back in its socket? And the guy shook his head. And they piled me into the tent and they were looking after me. And this poor guy just thought, wow, this is a crisis. And he just kept walking uh, onto the pole. And he got there, I don't know, a few weeks later. So I'm lying in the tent and I know it's over. 40 miles after all that fight, two times knocked back. And I think to myself, immediately, immediately, that if I get angry and frustrated, this isn't going to work. So I said to Kyle, I said to the girls, I said, we're not finished with yet, and I'm going to come back and finish this. And that's not from some sense of, you know, um, trying to be macho man or anything. It was like I was knocked back twice, once on spec, once on there. And I, the first thing I thought is, I have to finish this. The second thing is, give me more drugs, <laughs> because this was very painful. I was lying in the tent, and it was really, really hard. And a plane came with a fantastic doctor through Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions, ALE. And this doctor arrived who knows me, put me on a stretcher, put me on this plane and flew to the South Pole, which was so depressing for us because we took off and then went straight down to the pole. It was so near. Go to the pole. And at this moment, I know that unless we can get the hip in, that the ALE people are going to, ask the American government, who obviously have rescue facilities at the South Pole, to fly me to New Zealand to have my hip put in. And that would have been a bill of 1.3 million US dollars. So I say to these, just by luck, two incredible doctors, Doc Martin and Dr. Hans, very expert guys on 
Antarctica, they say, right, Rob, it's going back in. And this is not some fancy hospital. This is like a tent at the South Pole. It's minus 30. And they say, right, who's the strongest person on this team? And they got a guy called Sean from New Zealand that's got sort of hands twice the size of mine, big guy. And they said, right, clear this tent, put some drip on a <coughs> piece of sort of plastic from the ceiling of the tent. They got some other guy who's a good friend of mine called Devon. And they said, right, Devon, you're on Rob's shoulders. Sean, you're on his legs. And the two doctors said, right, we're going to put this back in. And I sort of put my finger up, said, any chance of some drugs, man? Because I'm in so much pain. And they, they hit me with, I don't, know, I don't know, too much ketamine, I think. You know, they just sort of went wham. I went back and it was very, very hard to get it in because my muscles were so strong after walking all that way. I had to stretch the muscles out and they, and they said it just made a pop noise. Wham, bang, back in. And I sort of woke up and go, can I have some more drugs, man? And they said, no, no, Rob, the hip's back in, you're okay. And cut a long story short, I went back to the base camp and then out to South America. And at the base camp, saw the saw Barney and the team, which was very disappointing and very sad not to meet them at 89. But Barney stepped up incredibly to lead that team to the South Pole. So twice, Barney had stepped in to help his his dad and that I think that's a huge message of I don't need to tell you because you know it but a huge message of our survival on this planet has to be that we work together as generations because if we don't we're screwed and um, Barney stepped up as he'd done before remember the hip had gone before and he kept going to the pole and made a success of it and this time he steps up again to lead this great team of young people business people um, and one guy, and this is what really makes me cross, we have one guy, Cameron Kerr, who's got one leg because he's got his leg blown off in Afghanistan. I'm off to see him now. I'm in Washington, D.C. And he had, because obviously he couldn't squat because he's, you know, got one thing leg. So he just had, wait for it, an upturned bucket with a small little loose seat on the top. And had I taken that, I would be talking to you about a whole different story. So they got to the pole, all successful. And I learned something, actually, which probably isn't interesting for your story, but it's interesting for your life, that if the shit hits the fan and you've got an interface with the public, which we have on a modest scale, it, it's best to tell people the news, but then keep the story going. So the news of me, yeah, Rob's hip blew out, he's coming home, he's okay, but Kyle, Katinka and Johanna are going to continue on the journey to 89. And then at 89, the story is of Cameron, Barney, Paulina and the rest of the team meeting. So suddenly the story keeps going. It's not all about Rob's hip blowing out. I think that works very well indeed um, to keep the story up and going. And I'm back. I never was particularly disappointed until I got back home and got to my house and saw the piles of paperwork that it taken to make the expedition happen, the boxes of equipment. And suddenly I thought, my God, what an effort that was 40 miles out. So that was a bit disappointing. I've been, my hip's fine. It just needs strengthening up. But these, my arms have really been a huge pain and 
you know, in 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 the end of the game, you know, no one's ever walked to the South Pole with a artificial hip. So, you know, it, I was breaking new grounds, and I feel that if I made any mistake, and I'd like to share this with anybody who maybe sees this, that all of us suffer injuries. All of us are told that we must do certain amounts of rehab- rehabilitation, and often we do it, but we don't do it for long enough. And I think that fundamentally, I could have made the tissues stronger so the hip couldn't have popped out as it did. So I feel that now I'm focused on making it stronger. I'm focused on saying, I'm not going back this December, but I'll go in December 2021 with Barney and we're going to knock it off and we're going to hope that Antarctica, after smashing me back twice, lets me through to finish the job. And I think in a in a world of, well, you know the world, you know how this story is relevant to what we all do. I don't need to explain that to you. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that people do do what they say they're going to do. And I'm disappointed, but... I'm still in the ring. I'm not going to give up. And I don't want to be seen as somebody who is sort of knocking their head against the brick wall because, you know, we did over 200 bloody miles. And what we've got to do is 40. So, you know, had, I, had this happened, you know, 20 miles in, I think I would have thrown in the towel. But 40 clicks out, we can do it. And I'm hoping to have an expedition that involves more people like Cameron um, and, you know, make a success of it at the end of 2021. So nothing's changed. We're going back to Antarctica in November with a ship and ready to roll. And that's that's really it. That's really it, it Fraz. Um, I don't know whether any of that makes sense, but that's from my heart. No one else has ever heard that story. Um Thank you for telling me, Rob. I appreciate it. Explain to people who who don't know, why is this such a huge feat and why is it so important to you? When I reached the North Pole on May the 14th, 1989, I didn't just hang up my skis. I screwed them to the wall. This was never going to happen again. I'd been let through by both poles. I was... 100% totally convinced that I would never do a big polar journey again. In the back of my mind, I I always thought that crossing of Antarctica from one coast to, to, you know, across the continent was something that Shackleton never did. So obviously my inspiration to do all these things at the beginning had been that I'd read the stories of the real explorers. So when Barney suggested that he wanted to make his own journey on spec, I thought, hang on, I'll make the journey with Barney, but if we go from the other side of Antarctica and we make it to the pole, then I will have crossed the Antarctic continent. And the kind of dream of thinking about Shackleton as I'd done when I was 11 was sort of reborn. And I think it's an important message to people. 
that, you know, you get to, 50, you know, 40, 50, 60, and a lot of people do have dreams somewhere deep down. And, I, and this dream sort of re-emerged because of Barney. And I think the message is don't forget those things. And the reason to do it has nothing to do with anybody. It's not breaking a record. Right. In fact, it will be the slowest crossing ever made of Antarctica because it will have taken, well, now it's going to have taken 35 years to make that journey. So it's not a record-breaking thing. It's for me. And part of it, to do it, is to close the circle on what I've spent my life doing. And it's not a record, it's just for me. So when I'm looking at a map, which I have to do, and you know I have to do, of Antarctica, that I could have lived really easily if Barney hadn't come up with this idea of making the journey. But once I'd done 300 miles out of 600, I couldn't look at Antarctica every day of my life, slideshow, click, and think there were only 300 miles to go to have finished it. And now there is no ways as that I can look at a map of Antarctica and think there are only 40 miles to go to have completed something that is not for anybody except me. And I hope it might be in a small way inspirational to people to not let go of dreams and to do what they say they're going to do. And most importantly, and if I'm out every day of my life with you and Jessica and Barney and hundreds of people around the world trying to make a difference, a difference can only be made but through action. So if I, I'm sure that people would say, yeah, 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 Rob, you, you've done enough, mate. There's no need. You've proved your point. We're not going to be truly inspired by you going to finish off 40 miles. But, you know, I'm not that sort of person. So it's when I'm lying in my bed as a very old man, I just want to think it was a bit of a struggle or got knocked back twice, but third time we cracked it. But no record. It, and that's so important that I'm not trying to beat anything or prove anything except to finish the job. So it's not an ego, macho thing. It, it's It's a closing of the circle i think you're enough like barney to to you know to understand all that sort of circle stuff which i don't but sort of feel does that make sense that makes sense so if it was one mile to go rob would you still go back and do the mile yeah I would. <laughs> or no i would have crawled it <laughs> okay that's good so i'm some arrogant twat trying to prove anything to anybody I'm not. I don't believe you are, Rob, for a second. No, 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 but that's what I'm trying to say is that I think it's important people get that idea that it's, it's not for me, it's for a bigger picture, but it's also for me personally. So I'm not trying to say, isn't Robert Swan great? I'm just saying, Rob Swan, if he says he's going to do it, he does it. Mm -hmm. Because in the next sentence, he's going to challenge people every single day to get off their asses and do something. So if he can't, you know, how, how, how's he expecting other people to do it? Last question, Rob. I know you've got it. Time is tight and you've got to go. But and just to try and get into the psychology of marching across the continent for people who have no idea about going down there. Mm -hmm. Is the continent alive in your mind? Yeah. 
And yeah, can you describe dis- lots of when you get up to a certain altitude, when the people are trying to break the sound barrier, they believe that you know there were sort of demons in the sky up there, and that if you try to break Mark One, the demons would smash you to pieces, and they did time and time again, test pilot after test pilot, but eventually Chuck Yeager got through and broke the sound barrier. And definitely in Antarctica, when you get up there near the pole, there are some pretty intense feelings that there are kind of demons there because your brain is well gone by then. It's very high altitude. You're basically starving to death. Your bodies shouldn't really be at altitude for that long. So you're struggling a bit. But Antarctica is definitely in my view, alive as a force. And it's a force that doesn't really have any <clears throat> compassion. And you feel that when you're lying on the ice and your hips just shot out, you just think, shit, I lie here another half an hour, it's over. So it's it doesn't have any compassion, but it is definitely alive in the sense that and it doesn't have compassion, but I do believe it's it's a force and possibly the most dangerous force on Earth. Because if we melt it, we swim. So it, it is actually the most dangerous, latent, powerful force on the planet. We all talk about Greenland melting, we talk about the Arctic melting, but it's got nothing if the Antarctic melts sea level rise by, you know, 500 feet, you know, half the planet's finished. So I think it's that type of force. And if you mess with it, it's a bit like if you ride a bicycle every day of your life around New York City, eventually you're going to fall off just by odds. So if you're stupid enough to walk to both poles and then go back, I don't feel an old person in any way at all, except when I'm in Antarctica, because it looks for weaknesses that you have, and you might have weaknesses when you're 30, but you've got a hell of a lot more weaknesses when you're 60. So Antarctica was kind of looking in my mind quite closely at me and saying, right, you know, what can we get? And this guy's pretty good, so, you know, his knees are all right and his back is okay, but this hip, you know, this looks quite interesting. Maybe we can get him on the hip. That's how you feel. It's like you're a diver, right? Mm-hmm. You go into the water in a wetsuit, and if you go into the water in a wetsuit, when it's cold, you can feel the water creeping in, and then eventually it warms up. Antarctica feels like that when you're there. It's creeping into you. It's finding something. It's sort of flooding, flooding your senses with that terrible cold. Okay, mate, I've got to go, but lots of love, mate. Take it easy. Cheers, Rob. Thanks Bye, friends. Well, we'll just have to do the last 40 then. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. I'm still in the ring. Three expeditions, 33 years, 1,460 miles, and now 
40 to go. If you want to catch more episodes, you can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, on Apple, on Spotify. You can find us at The Two Poles. You can also support this series and independent media production through patreon.com forward slash far features. You can find us on Instagram at two underscore polls. Finally, we're new to podcasts, so let me know what you think. Rate this podcast.com forward slash two polls. Until next time, that's all. This episode is supported by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading source for sustainability news. Visit ecobusiness.com for daily award-winning environmental journalism.